Thank you, choir, for that reminder from God's Word. Psalm 139, that the Lord is with us, always with His people, wherever we may go. With us as we seek to journey through life and live for Him. And we've been talking about living faith. For faith that is lived out in everyday life. And really, there is no other type of true biblical Christian faith. Because what we believe impacts what we do. The things that we have ascribed to affect how we live. For them not to would be the very definition of hypocrisy. For example, you can't claim to be a good athlete and never exercise. Suppose you could, but it just wouldn't be true. You can't claim to be an American patriot and never say the Pledge of Allegiance or acknowledge the sacrifice of those who fought for your freedom. You can't claim to be an extreme couponer, at least not TLC style, and not have a stash of endless household items tucked away somewhere in your garage that you will never use. You can't claim to be a churchgoer and rarely go to church. You can't claim to be a missionary and never share the gospel. What we believe affects how we live, how we think, how we act. And this is true for those who claim to know and follow Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior. We'll see an example of this in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 12 this morning. And I invite you to turn there and look with me at God's Word. But we see something, we see a mark that distinguishes genuine believers in Christ from those who don't really know Christ. I invite you to look with me at James chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. It reads this way. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. This letter that James wrote to scattered Believers, scattered Christians, the first major topic that he addressed was trials, hardships, which people face in life all of the time. In the opening verses of this letter, he communicated that trials, hardships are not not reason for believers to mope around or to pity themselves or to abandon the faith. Rather, trials provide an avenue or an opportunity for growing in faith in Jesus Christ. Believers look at trials, look at outward difficult circumstances through that context. The reason for joy, not because they're desirable, not because they're enjoyable, but because they provide an opportunity for something far better, and that's growing in a walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. Text says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. James introduced trials, outward hardships, 
And in verses 9 through 11, he talked about an example of such a trial that many of his original recipients were facing. That's the trial of poverty, physical hardship. And then he comes back in this way to verse 12 and sort of offers this concluding remark, concluding statement about these outward trials. And we see from verse 12 that genuine believers overcome trials and are handsomely rewarded. Genuine believers overcome trials and are handsomely rewarded. We see this this double blessing, really, that's mentioned in verse 12. Blessedness for the one who perseveres and the crown of life for the one who perseveres. Two things that are no doubt related, but I think in some way distinct as well. Blessedness is the idea of happiness in God. Joy in God. An inner quality, an inner state that is not changing depending on outward circumstances. Though outward circumstances may be difficult, may be hard, may be depressing. For a believer, remain joyful in the Lord because they look at all of these things as temporary through the lens of eternal life in Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus himself would say, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. These are not situations that we would normally describe as good, as happy, as as blessed. But for believers in Jesus Christ, any and Every circumstance is an opportunity for joy, an opportunity to be blessed in Christ because of the life that we have in Jesus Christ. And the text says, blessed is the one who perseveres or the one who endures under trial. And to endure is to to face outward trials courageously. In essence, to, to rise above them in the words of the reformer John Calvin, it's to face them with confidence in the Lord, with trust in the Lord, recognizing who He is, that He is greater, that life in Him is better. Identity for believers is not found in outward circumstances, but is found in a relationship with our Lord. And those that do this, those that endure, those that persevere are said to receive the crown of life the Lord has promised to those who love him. A crown of life. Scholars debate exactly what that's referring to, but I I think this is pretty straightforward. This is not referring to a literal crown that you're going to wear on your head. You can't somehow fashion together life and put it on your head as a physical object. That's just silly. The crown of life, this is This is the abundant life that Jesus said he had come to offer. Life to the full. John chapter 10, verse 10. Those who endure are blessed. Those who endure trials. True believers overcoming trials are described as blessed and the recipients of this this crown of life. Now in ancient times... Crowns were not often that valuable in and of themselves. Weren't at this time. This is not the picture of what we think of from later times with crowns that are filled with jewels and 
diamonds and other valuable objects. They weren't that valuable in and of themselves. Rather, it was an honor to receive such a crown. It was significant because it was considered an honor. And so when Scripture is saying here, and I believe elsewhere, that the one who endures, the one who perseveres under outward trials will be blessed, will be rewarded in this way. Don't, don't think of, of wealth and, and health and a bunch of nice stuff. That may be the case, but this is not prosperity gospel. This is not all about receiving a bunch of stuff for ourselves. And beware, because there are many popular teachers today that want you to think that it is. Watch out for that. Run from that garbage. That is not the gospel. This This is a reference to true and abundant and eternal and satisfying life in and through Jesus Christ. Something that satisfies far more than than anything else in this world. And I don't think that the Bible is saying here or elsewhere that, that we're to, to remain faithful and to, to do the right thing and to have the right attitude so that we'll be rewarded. I don't think that's the message here. I think what Scripture is saying to believers is to contemplate the magnificent grace of God and the goodness of God and allow that to put your outward trials in the proper perspective. That compared to the magnificent grace and glory of God as displayed through the gospel of Jesus Christ, circumstances in this world are really not that big a deal. As Ben reminded us so well last Sunday, From Hebrews chapter 12, our greatest reward, our greatest prize for believers is Jesus. A relationship with Jesus, eternal life in Jesus. That is what satisfies. Genuine believers overcome trials and are handsomely rewarded. And the verses that follow in this particular section, James sort of shifts from this outward trial, be it persecution, be family crisis, be it grieving over the loss of a loved one, whatever it may be, James shifts from this outward sort of trial to a different sort of trial that we can all still relate to nonetheless, the trial of inward temptation to sin. Look back at the text beginning in verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. We learn from these verses that we are responsible for our sin. We are responsible for our sin. We can't point the finger and blame anyone else for our sin for succumbing to the temptation of, of sin. It's no one else's fault that, that each of us is engaged in sinful thoughts and actions and attitudes and words. It's part of who all of us are. Nevertheless, 
Our sin nature runs so deep that we, we often want to blame others. This has been mankind's modus operandi ever since the beginning, ever since the first sin. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. We, we read their dialogue with the Lord in Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. The, God asked the man, he asked Adam, what, what is this that you've done? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me. She gave me some fruit of the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. In other words, it's someone else's fault. That's the way that we think. Our sin nature is so deep that we seek to evade responsibility for our own sin. And not only did did Adam blame the woman, he actually blamed God. The woman you put here with me. In other words, God, you had something to do with this mistake. You set me up. That's what Adam was saying. Modern equivalent of this would be saying, God made me the way that I am. I can't help how I feel. I can't help the appetites and the desires that I have. The way I am is the way I am. I can't control my feelings or what I do, be it lust or pornography, be it greed, be it homosexual behavior, be it pride, whatever it may be. God is not responsible for our sin, whatever it is. He is not responsible. The Word of God in James makes it very clear that God is not the source of our temptation. God is not the source of our temptation. Verse 13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Now, God does test people. We read these accounts in Scripture. God tested Abraham by asking him to sacrifice his son Isaac. God tested the nation, the people of Israel, by surrounding them with pagan nations. We read in Judges to see how they would respond. He does test his people in order to strengthen their faith, but he he doesn't tempt anyone. See, God is so, so powerful and so holy in his character that there is nothing in God to which sin can make any appeal. Nothing in, in, in God that would make him or that would lead him to succumb to any sort of temptation to sin. He hates sin. And because he hates sin, he would never do anything with the hope that anyone else with sin. This is sort of like the difference between dangling a donut before a child and dangling a piece of cabbage before a child. Nearly every single time, the donut is going to be irresistible and the cabbage is going to be, going to be left alone. I did this, by the way, when I first came to Meadowbrook with our youth. Not the cabbage, but the donut. And we had a little competition where a face-off with a donut on a string and the idea was to eat the donut the fastest without using your hands. And I can't believe I'm even mentioning this on Memorial Day weekend because one of our participants, actually a teenager uh, on that occasion, didn't even like donuts, which is like un-American. <laughs> I, won't, I won't mention her name, but she may or may not be one of our graduates that we honor 
this year. But to some people, certain things are repulsive. There's, there's no desire for them. This is, this is how sin is to God. Evil is repulsive to God. There's nothing in God to which sin can make any appeal. Thus, he is not the source of our temptation. Rather, our succumbing to temptation comes from a desire within us. All of us have a deep propensity to sin. We have a deep propensity to sin according to God's word in James chapter 1, verse 14. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. The picture here, the image here, the language that is used here by James is the same language that we would use for, for hunting prey or for fishing for dragging something out, enticing it with bait, luring something out. And as I think about that, I, I thought about the mouse that was in our vent, our ceiling vent in our half bath just several weeks ago. When I discovered that it was there, I was certain to catch that little guy. I knew that I was going to catch this guy. I had to get rid of him. And how else are you going to get rid of a, a mouse that's in your house. And so I, I put one of those little spring-loaded traps, you know, those little cheap mouse traps in the half bath, the one that has the little yellow plastic that I guess is supposed to look like cheese. And then I put some other baits, like some real cheese and peanut butter around it. And I sealed off the bottom of the door with a towel so there was no way for him to escape. And my aim was to lure this guy down with something that was good to eat and then get rid of him. That's what That's what sin does in our lives. Something in us, a craving in each of us that desires evil. I know some of you are wanting to know if I caught the mouse. (laughs) And I didn't. (laughs) I really don't have those little traps quite figured out yet because although I've had them set off several times, I've never actually caught a mouse The only thing that I've successfully caught is my finger, and that does not feel very good at all. But we have a deep propensity to sin, like like a fisherman lures a fish out with bait. Sin appeals to our desires for evil, appeals to something in us. And like a tree that only receives sunlight on a certain side and then begins to grow in that direction, bent in the wrong direction, all of us are bent in the wrong direction. We have a natural bent, a propensity, a tendency, a proclivity, an inclination toward sin. We're not naturally bent toward honoring and obeying our maker, our creator. Rather, we are... We are bent, we are prone to sin, prone to wander, prone to leave the God that we love. We are totally depraved. We are corrupt at the core. If we don't don't recognize the, the sin nature that is in each of us, then we fail to see the significance of the grace of God. If sin is no big deal, then then God's grace is 
no big deal either. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So we are responsible for our sin. God is not the source of our temptation. We have a deep propensity to sin. And sin, we see in verse 15, results in spiritual death. Sin results in spiritual death. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. It's this downward spiral that begins. From temptation to desire to sin and ultimately, according to God's word, to death. Just like conception leads to birth, conceived desire results in spiritual death. Essentially, James is communicating the same thing Paul did in Romans chapter 6. For the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the opposite. The spiritual death is the opposite of the crown of life that is mentioned in verse 12. James concludes this section, concludes this passage on a much more positive note. Describing that good gift, that gift of life for those that know the gospel of Jesus Christ. So look with me quickly at verses 16 through 18. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. God is not the source of temptation. Rather, the unchanging God is the source of everything good and the giver of new life in Jesus. The unchanging God is the source of everything good and the giver of new life in Jesus. The text says in verse 17 that every good and perfect gift is from above, meaning it is from God. It comes from God, the one who's described here as the father of the heavenly lights, referring to the things that he's created, the the sun and the moon and the stars, stating that God is the creator of these things. God is the maker of these things that were created for our own good. And he is still sovereign over them. And the passage is emphasizing that as great as those things are, God is far better than them. He is far grander. He is far more magnificent. He is far greater than than any of these heavenly lights that He has created. The sun changes. At least our perception of the sun changes. The shadows change as time passes and the intensity of light increases and decreases based on the earth's axis and the way that the earth moves around the sun. These things change every day, all day. But God never changes. He remains the same. His character is always the same. He is always faithful. He is always good. He is always reliable. And He is always true. 
the message that he told his people through the prophet Malachi, as recorded in Malachi chapter 3. He said, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, so you, the Israelites, the Jews, my people, so you are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. In other words, you have not been destroyed for your rebellion because I am still a merciful God. I am still and always slow to anger. I still desire to... Forgive those who repent and turn to me. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. God is good. His goodness is unceasing. It is unfading. It is constant. It is all the time. A popular phrase that's often used in children's ministry to teach Children, the character of God is true. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. I can see some of you are beginning to think about Memorial Day cookouts and pool parties and that sort of thing. So to bring us all back together, I need you to respond with me. I say God is good. You say all the time. I say all the time. You say God is good. God is good. All the time. time. He is. His character is the same. It is constant. He is always good. And the best gift that he gives is described in the final verse, verse 18. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Birth. This is the new birth. This is new life. This is salvation through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The news of hope and forgiveness and restoration and eternal life through Jesus Christ. The word of truth. This is the proclamation of the gospel. And these believers that James is writing to here are described as First fruits of all that God created. And what he's communicating there is that these are some of the very first followers of Christ. These are some of the very first Christians, pioneer believers, if you will, that are representative of all the subsequent men and women, boys and girls, that will have new life in Christ in the years to come. And the Word of God is saying clearly that that this was God's idea. That salvation and redemption and new life in Christ, even though we have such a proclivity to sin, was God's idea. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. He chose to give us new life and salvation through the gospel of Jesus Christ church. We see based on this passage that despite our propensity to sin, God gives new and abundant life through Jesus. 
Despite our propensity to sin, God gives new life and abundant life through Jesus. James chapter 1 verses 12 through 18 is communicating clearly the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the same glorious gospel to which the rest of God's word points to as well. It's the same glorious gospel, the same message of the gospel that's found in Romans chapter 5 and 6. Paul wrote that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Despite our propensity to sin, God gives new and abundant life through Jesus. So how does this truth, how do the truths of this passage intersect with our lives as followers of Jesus Christ today? I want to give you a couple starting points as we think about that and apply the truth of God's word to our life. Firstly, confess sin quickly. Confess sin quickly. As believers who have recognized that we are not saved based on anything we've done or could do, but only by the substitutionary and sacrificial gift of Jesus Christ on the cross in our place, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Because we recognize that, let's not evade responsibility for our shortcomings. Let's not overlook the depth of sin that is in each of us. All of us have fallen short. And as long as we are in these bodies on this earth, we will continue to fall short. So when we do, let's confess sin quickly because we know if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just and will purify us from all unrighteousness, forgiving our sin through Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Confess sin quickly and finally rest in the goodness and the gifts of God. Rest in the goodness and in the gifts of God We will face trials in this world. We will face outward trials, struggles, difficulties, hardships that we cannot control. And we will also face trials through the inward temptation, the lure to sin, to be enticed and dragged away from intimacy with our Creator. And when we do, know that God is always faithful. God is always merciful. God is always good. Rest in the goodness and in the gifts of God. Despite our propensity to sin, God gives new and abundant life through Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that the message of forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation and new life, new birth through the sinless Son of God is conveyed over and over and over again through your word. Lord, remind us of it every day. Remind us of your great grace and your great mercy, or despite our rebellion, despite our sin, despite the fact that we have fallen short and continue to fall short of your perfect standard, Lord, remind us of your goodness. 
Remind us of your faithfulness. Remind us of your mercy as we face trials in this world, trials through outward difficult circumstances, Lord, and, and trials through inward spiritual struggles, spiritual battles, tempta- battles, temptations, Lord, to sin. Lord, thank you that you're with us. Thank you that you know us. Thank you that you lead us. Thank you, Lord, that you are a forgiving God, a God who is unchanging. Lord, help us to to rest in your goodness today, to rest at the feet of Jesus, knowing that only Christ is sufficient, but Christ is sufficient. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray this morning. Amen.